0: Welcome to Art of Retreat 2019, the parkour leadership and education retreat. We're in the Cascade Mountains outside of Seattle, Washington. I'm Craig Constantine from Movers Mindset, and I'm here with Paula Flynn.
1: Hey, Craig, thanks for having me.
0: Very welcome, thank you for being here. Paula Flynn is a parkour coach, breathwork practitioner, mother, and neurodivergent individual. She is an active member of the Perth Parkour community as a coach, leader in the women's community, and is a member of the Perth Parkour committee. Paula is inspired by her three children to help shape her communities to become more inclusive, supportive, and compassionate for all populations. Welcome, Paula. Thank you. Paula, your session was on neurodiversity and inclusivity, and I think people might have an idea of what those terms mean, but I'm wondering if you can unpack some of the framework of what your session was about.
1: Yeah, sure. So I am a neurodivergent woman, and I have three children who are neurodivergent, and Two of my children are diagnosed as autistic. And my youngest is she's neurodivergent. We're not sure yet if she's um, if she's autistic. but uh, when when we learned about this about our children, it really sent me on this um, you know road of personal discovery and learning so much about neurodiversity and our different brains. And I really think that there's a lot of misinformation out there around autism and neurodivergence and people who just think and act differently.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I wanted to introduce people to the broader topics of disability and neurodiversity and the neurodiversity paradigm and then kind of mesh that in with parkour because I really see that there's a lot of a lot of the components and um uh, parts of parkour that myself and my children are attracted to really benefit us as neurodivergent people. And I wanted to make sure that, well, I wanted to share that with people and I also wanted to make sure that people were aware of how to support neurodivergent people. So some of the things that, that we might find difficult being in community settings and class settings and in groups and, and, um, and then how we might be able to accommodate that.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about the structure of your session is it is it lecture is it hands on are you are you like um I don't wanna say prototyping, but like are you working through different kinds of scenarios like how do you get um people who have a very um unidirectional way of thinking? how do you get them to understand the other ways of thinking and the other points of view
1: okay so i i first i really love people's stories, so I shared. In my session, I shared about myself Mm -hmm. and my children and uh, our our journey into learning um, about neurodiversity and and ourselves and and, and how we got into parkour and, and all that. And then I really wanted to look at the bigger picture stuff. So what is disability? And then looking at ableism and what that is. And then unpacking... Neurodiversity and the neurodiversity paradigm, and how that the neurodiversity paradigm really aligns with the social model of disability, whereas the pathology paradigm aligns more with the medical model of right. disability. And so, I wanted to make sure that we we're all on the same page with those those um, you know thoughts and paradigms and ideas. And from there, I kind of looked more closely into those things that I felt my children and I really benefited from uh, or, or the things in parkour that really benefited us. And then from there we, we discussed some of the things that neurodivergent people um, find challenges with, um, so things like different styles of communication and sensory difficulties or executive functioning, um, transitions and switching tasks and h- how some strategies that might help when we're in classes um, mm. to help children and adults. And from there, we then looked at inclusivity and really just stripped back what it means to be inclusive. Um, and what, what I found and what I believe is that when we're being trying to be inclusive, we can, we can check all the boxes, you know, and, but, and it's good to do those things and do the research. But if we're not striving to connect, make connection with with, individuals, yeah, then it's really doesn't mean anything. So that was kind of the crux of it, um, was that we need more connection. Mm. Uh, but also the parkour community is extremely, in my experience of, you know being involved in other communities and um is it's very very friendly welcoming um, inclusive community already so i really just wanted to make sure that everyone had accurate information about neurodiversity and autism Mm -hmm. and disability so that they could then take that and kind of add it to what they're already Mm -hmm. what they're already doing
0: was there anything about your session that um, I don't want to say surprised you like in a negative context, mm-hmm. but you you can't help but have a preconceived idea of how you would like your session to go. And was there anything about it that made you really surprised or made you realize that th- there was a different there was a different twist on it?
1: Um, not really. I, I it was interesting because, and i I had an inkling this might happen that mm-hmm. there was a lot of. Well, not a lot but there were quite a few aha uh-huh moments from people in the mm-hmm. audience like oh my mm, that's, that's me like yeah that really oh, i i didn't even know that was a thing and and i really relate to that and um so i think uh, i really liked seeing the um i guess the self-discovery and uh so that was really cool that was a really cool aspect of it yeah
0: and what brought you to Art of Retreat? Like, did you, did somebody talk you into it or was this just like a, that's an event I want to go to because like, uh, you've come a long way. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I have come I know, a long way. Did you come
0: specifically for this event or were you yes. here in the States for something else? Okay, no, I can a long came, way to go.
1: Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year I organized, no, this year in April, end of April, I organized Wham Jam. Um, sorry, it was the start of April. Anyway. Wham Jam is the Australian women and non-binary uh, parkour gathering, mm-hmm. and every year it's held in a different capital city. I think this year it was the fourth or fifth. Anyway, I put my hand up to organise it in Perth, and we wanted to get an international guest. I got funding, and we got funding to bring Brandy Led out.
0: Ah, there's yeah. the connection okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then Brandy and I got talking and I mentioned about neurodiversity and we had a great connection and she was like, I don't think that, you know, this isn't something that hasn't been talked about before. I said, do, do you think, you know, it's something that people want to hear? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I I applied and it was accepted and then I had to fundraise. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a single parent with three kids and we... We unschool we the kids are with me all the time so i'm i'm limited in what i can you know in my finances i guess and i did a fundraiser on facebook and my friends and family were amazing and raised enough money to get me over here and it was all covered so it was incredible so yeah i feel really lucky and it's been it's been really exciting but i'm i'm still i i feel like i should be awake at night yeah. and, and asleep right and like old. in the day <laughs> it's been a week and i still haven't adjusted
0: i'm only shifted three days i, I, I yeah. can't imagine being that far out yeah but it's yes. like their
1: 50 home is 15 hours ahead so yeah, yeah.
0: that's rough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> paula one of the things that we're trying to do with these spark interviews is to spark discussion and to spark change if we can um among the people who are listening so uh, an obvious question is what is something that you think people might be able to do, either physically or or a mental question they can work through to try and get a new perspective on some of the things you were covering in your session?
1: Definitely, the way that people look at disability the 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 kind of the story or narrative that we get the dominant narrative that we get around disability is that it's a problem to be fixed. Mm. Um, it's there's the, There's a medical model. Um,
0: yeah, a pathological model. Yeah, a model yeah. Of What's the pathology that fits the, for yes. this situation? What's the What's the pathology?
1: Yeah. So, and I talked about how, if we, to try and be more inclusive, it's really important to try and think, shift our thinking from that medical model that sees the person, the disabled person, as having abnormalities or deficits um, as you know, needing to be fixed or cured and, and having no autonomy, like to shifting that, the way we think about that to the social model of disability, which looks at the, the person who's disabled, is disabled by the environment around them. So, and the communication and social barriers and biases that are in our community. It, I was talking in my presentation about a I think it's a a really simple example was I saw a clip an older clip of on YouTube and it was a community of wheelchair users and so they they have their very own community and the community was built for them so there's ramps everywhere they don't need high ceilings Um, everything's down low the door frames are really low it's built for them it's built for wheelchair users and then some able-bodied people, people who walk, who don't use wheelchairs, come and live in the community. And they start banging their heads, heads. all the time. They start having to walk around bent over. Um, they start getting really sore backs. They need to start wearing helmets. Um, <laughs> yeah, and they become disabled by their environment. Right. And uh, Yeah,
0: where's I, the pathology in that individual? There isn't yeah, one. That's yeah. the environment that caused
1: Yeah, calls yeah. So, I think that's a, that's a great way of looking I just thought that was a really simple example to try and start thinking about that shift and it and it's a difficult shift to make Um, and I think because and I think one of the reasons that it's a difficult shift to make is because there's a lot of ableism embedded in our society which is which is discrimination and prejudice against disabled people and and it's it manifests in different ways but it's things like the the words that we use or the environment uh, that we do or don't create for them Um, it's it's the exclusion of disabled people it's not including them in conversations it's using disabled people as inspiration to make us feel better Um, there's a term coined by an amazing disability activist named Stella young she Uh, passed away a few years ago sadly she's Australian and she coined the term inspiration porn and it's basically seeing disabled people as an inspiration purely because of their disability Um, and there's stories like um, you know a non disabled person inviting a disabled person to prom and then putting it all over the internet and so the action itself is not actually inspiration porn, but the way that it's delivered is inspiration porn. You know, it's another, another good example is there was a woman who bought a cake and it said happy birthday on it and it was decorated by a staff member who is autistic and it was decorated quite messily. And the woman made a point about, well, she she posted the story on Facebook, and it went viral. And she just kind of went on about how wonderful and she was that she accepted this cake, and she was being patient and kind, and this person was doing that the best that they could, and didn't name this person, didn't really humanize this person in any way, and it went viral. And she got all these comments: "Oh, you're a great person, you're wonderful," and she was seen as this this saint or hero, and uh, you know, kind of just um, what's the word? Kind of just putting As, up with the disabled person, like uh, yeah, like you,
0: that was exemplary behavior that should yeah. be copied. Whereas yes, it's a cake.
1: Yeah, it's a decorated cake. Yeah.
0: Do you like the cake or do you not like the yeah, cake? Yeah,
1: exactly. Right. Yeah. So um, that was one of the examples I used um, of ableism that that we don't. A lot of people don't realize that, that that's not really okay mm-hmm. um, because it it takes away the humanness of of the right. disabled person you know and um how can we be inclusive when we don't really see them as as one of us you know yeah
0: paula we've kind of covered a broad range of topics pretty quickly and there's a couple of terms that i'm i'll confess i wasn't familiar with i went and looked them up Mm -hmm. um, and i encourage people to do that all the time everywhere in your entire life great thing called the internet look it up Mm -hmm. and i think that the the term neurodiversity is one that maybe we should unpack a little bit maybe you could give us a little bit of a tour of i know that's a not a portmanteau what do they call that one it's two words joined together so there's a lot of a lot of um, conceptual information packed in there so maybe you could open that up a little bit for us
1: yeah sure so neurodiversity is basically it's just uh the diversity of human minds so it's biological fact that all brains are different there's diversity in our brains so it, diverse neurodiversity itself is not not like a concept or anything it's it's just fact um, and some people's brains are similar enough that they behave in ways that are categorized and labeled so then you have things like uh, autistic brains or bipolar epilepsy ADHD uh, you know there's there's a lot of different um, brains out there (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so neuro and then there's neurodivergence so neurodiversity is the diversity of human brains and minds and then neurodivergence is when your brain diverges from what society would say is a typical brain Um, and so there's a lot of people out there who are neurodivergent who may not consider themselves neurodivergent uh, for myself, I didn't know what it meant until my son was about four and he I could see that he was uh, not following a typical like, trajectory of, of being, you know, not doing what lots of other kids were doing right. and that wasn't a bad thing but it was something that I could see that he was experiencing the world differently and some things were harder for him and I wanted to understand more and that's what kind of led us on this path and i I met other autistic people and i learned that i had a lot of similar traits to my son and um and in in the space of you know a few years my two older sons were diagnosed their father was diagnosed and i was diagnosed not not as autistic but as having a a few different you know sensory processing difficulties and social anxiety and so I, it was the self discovery was amazing and really wonderful actually. Um, I didn't realize that the way that I thought and acted was different. <laughs>
0: there's a classic problem called the problem of the other mind yeah how do you actually know first of all that there's other minds out there that's a, a really fun psychology or philosophy problem but how do i know that my conception of pick anything mm-hmm. matches anybody else's conception yeah. so i can't even begin to go like well maybe this problem maybe this thing that's bothering me this problem that i'm perceiving mm-hmm. isn't actually me maybe we all perceive that or maybe it is just me or this small group yeah so i i can totally see how i think that would be a very um did you find it freeing, like to realize that, oh, all I have to do then is work around this because that's the way it is? There's nothing really wrong with me that's yeah. a pathology?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it was freeing. And I took the pressure off myself. Um, I, I learned for me the social anxiety, especially as a, a child and a teenager, was pretty big for me. And um, I learned that some of the things that I was doing, like scripting in my mind and um, various other things. I I read about all of these on the internet from mm-hmm. all these other people, and I was like, wow, you know, this I, I is, do that. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So yeah, that was it. Was really a really helpful, uh, really helpful experience um, to learn about that. And then there's the neurodiversity paradigm, which is a perspective on neurodiversity that sees it as a natural and valued part of human diversity. So there's a really great autistic speaker, scholar and educator named Nick Walker who's based here in the US and he came up with a definition for the neurodiversity paradigm and he kind of boils it down to the three fundamental principles which I'll uh, quickly go through or you know break it down so number one that neurodiversity is a natural and valuable form of human diversity number two the idea that there is one normal or healthy type of brain or mind or one right style of neurocognitive mm. functioning is a culturally constructed fiction, fiction. yeah uh, and then number three that the social dynamics that manifest in regards to neurodiversity are similar to the social dynamics that manifest in regards to other forms of Human diversity, like gender and race and um, culture, and so that there's there's dynamics of social power involved in that, uh, and there's also when we embrace the diversity, there's also it's also a source of creative potential. Yeah, so that's the kind of way that he breaks it down. But basically, it's just that there's no there's no one right or normal or natural way to be to think. Um, the, yeah. And to embrace that. Right.
0: The natural is diversity.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And wh- before, when I was talking about the social model of disability mm-hmm. and the medical model, and so the social model, you can see that, that that meshes really well with the neurodiversity paradigm. Whereas the medical model of disability, that fits it along with what we would call the pathology paradigm which is how autism and other neurodivergences like adhd for example are diagnosed so that the process of diagnosis for autism is not really a very pleasant one you know you go and you have to talk about all these deficits really of your children you know um and if you're going through the processes process as an adult it's like you have to think about all these things that are wrong with you because that's how it's diagnosed as all these things that are wrong or not normal. Mm-hmm. So it's not a really a very nice process and it would be great if it was more of, hey, this is your, your brain is wired like this and this is how you think and that's not a bad thing but sometimes it makes it hard for you to function in this society uh, and and this is what it is, but instead it's pathologized, and and there's, you know, people have said to me when they find out my children are autistic, oh, I'm I'm so sorry, Great. and I'm like, why, you know, why are you sorry?
0: <laughs> Finish that train of thought. Yeah, sorry for what? <laughs> yeah, what did you do that? You have regret. About?
1: Yeah, and and it's there's some really upsetting stuff out there, you know, of people trying to push to cure autism, and there's horrible therapies um and treatments and uh it's really just trying to change who a person is to make them fit in and people might think that they're doing your child a favor but really it's there's autistic adults who've gone through that therapy as children now who have ptsd because Mm. they were basically forced to be something they're not Mm. and that's going to have an impact you know
0: so i I was going to say do you get tired and i'm pretty sure the answer is yes so i'm going to say instead where do you find the energy to and i'm not referring to mothering your children but where do you find the energy to keep dealing with people it's like all i get is waves of people coming at me with the same like the so that's like a social onslaught and where do you get the energy to just like not grin and bear it, but to actually proactively try to correct people or try to at least show them a different point of view? Like, where, where do you get that energy from?
1: Well, I surround myself with uh, other people who believe in the neurodiversity paradigm and and celebrate diversity, and that helps. And I've been lucky enough to, when I, I learnt about all this and started looking into autism and neurodiversity, that I met some wonderful autistic adults who had autistic children who who work, I mean, they work tirelessly and they're doing it for, for their children and for other autistic kids and um, people who aren't typical. So I guess they inspire me and they do a lot more than I do. Mm. Um, so I think surrounding yourself with, with the people that, that are your people and that, that get it definitely definitely helps
0: yeah it also sounds like from what you were describing earlier and what i've read that parkour somehow also scratches the itch for the social interaction in a group that would be i guess predisposed to not quite be so pathological yeah Um, so what is it about i mean i can say what are your feelings when you practice parkour but we all know the answer to that question Mm -hmm. because we all have the same ones (laughs) but i'm wondering um how um how do you like what is it about parkour that you think really calls you in and makes you think this is really good for me in like a salve sort of way? You know, like how does this heal me?
1: Mm. Well, w- when I was thinking about this presentation and the ideas for it, I, I I, really do think that parkour has some some great qualities that, like I've said before, that support neurodivergent people. And this is, I mean, I haven't, I haven't interviewed like autistic people or other neurodivergent people. This is from my own experience and my kids. Mm-hmm. And when I, I talked about these in my presentation, everyone was like, Yeah, like I relate to that and there were people in the audience who said, yeah, I'm I'm neurodivergent or oh man, I think I'm I think I'm neurodivergent. Like, <laughs> I don't know, could could I be autistic? I'm like, Well, you know, maybe you can explore that. But so it this is just I wanna kind of clarify that this isn't some kind of, um, re, you know, researched or this is my thoughts. But I feel that the main kind of things that really support, support us is um, the freedom. So there's so much freedom in parkour to move the way you want to move, the way you need to move over objects, um, under objects, around, you know, you can jump if you want to jump, if you want to, like, you know, use – use a a a rail and you know you really like the pressure on your body you can you can do that and for people who who have been maybe receiving this message that they're wrong or that they're being in their bodies wrong or that they need to change or fix themselves to to be able to just move with complete freedom and for it to be okay like if you need to do a certain ritual before you do every movement then you can do that. you know. If you, if you really just want pressure all the time on your body, then you can do parkour and move around and just roll on rails or right. on the ground. You have that freedom. The
0: community automatically holds that space for you and then yeah. it's like, oh, that's what you're into. That's interesting what you're, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, also things like the creativity. So I've kind of, I, I, I feel like all these ideas that I, that I have that kind of branch off of this one big thing of freedom. And for me, freedom, Freedom means acceptance. When when I feel free, I feel accepted. I feel that I can take up space and be myself. And parkour allows that. It allows creativity. It also uh, autonomy. So you're in control of your body. Yes, that's yep. a
0: big feature. Sorry, I didn't mean the yes, yes no. autonomy is a big feature of of like health and well being. And if that that I mean that's the most. Um, horrific thing you can do to a human being is to take away their autonomy
1: yes yeah exactly and so yeah just to be able to be in control of your body and to the the other thing was self-governed progressions so you can there's there's no grading system or anything and you can progress at your own pace and you know you can up the ante of your training or, or, or bring it back again to, to where, however you need to.
0: Yeah, the phrase that I love is it's a culture of effort yes. and people judge you based on your progress as opposed to, you know, what? you can't do a Kong vault? I'm like, no, I can't do a Kong vault. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've learned like 11 times like conquered the Kong and it's just not a thing I can stick with. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that culture of effort and that people judge you for, you know, well, well are you trying? Yes. Okay, well, that's the point of what we're doing. So you're winning, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and another thing that I think is really, really suits suits us and supports us is the way that we can train. So we can train alone, we can train in groups or we can train parallel. And for me, I, I, there are different times when I, I train alone sometimes and sometimes I like training in a group, but a lot of the time I really just like I like being around other people, but I don't want to necessarily interact with them Mm, and be like talking about everything that we're doing. I just, I just want to be parallel. I just want to be alongside them. I have that connection and I don't have to do anything else, um, but, but move and feel supported in the people around me but I'm not forced into mm. to anything. Like, this is what I have to do now, and now I have to go and talk to them, and then I have to complete this and that, and um, you can just be, you know, and that's, uh, that's really nice, because there's a lot of things that can affect our training. Like, um, if we have sensory issues, or PTSD, or depression, or we're just feeling really anxious, or, you know, there's a whole range of things. And so, to have the freedom That word again. The freedom to to um, to train and be with people the way that we need to, I think, is really really nice. So, yeah. There's also one other thing, and um, and I I, this is something. It's the non-competitiveness of parkour, which uh, you know we're something that we're that's a whole topic of discussion. But you know, (laughs) even
0: the people I've talked to a lot of people, talked to a few people in my time, and Everybody always even the people who are for parkour competition, yeah. they're always like for the people who want to do competition. Yeah. It's not it's never like uh if you're not competing, you're not doing parkour. So yeah. even the people who are pro competition, they're 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 clear and it's evident that they understand that yes, that would be the people who want to do competition. So yes. so I always say parkour is non competitive unless you want it to be. Like yes. and that's just like a completely different way of like football is competitive, game over, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And when when things aren't competitive, then there's there's not this expectation. Like there's there's not like a grading system. Um, and when when you're you don't follow a typical trajectory, and then you need to compete to to move up, or or it can be really. Um, like sometimes soul destroying to to feel like you can't compete with those around you you're not you're not good enough Um, and so to not have that expectation of of having to to compete with other people um, is also another really freeing and uh, makes parkour feel a a lot safer I think Mm -hmm. yeah for neurodivergent people Mm
0: So Paula, if people want to, and I think there's two things need to be done here. If they want to talk to you more, um, so can you give me the information on how people can reach you and Wham Jam and the Perth Parkour Community, community, also the Perth Parkour Committee. Mm -hmm. Um, and then But there's also the question of if people have questions about these particular topics, um, if you can give us some breadcrumbs on how they would go and where they would go to learn more about that. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so if people want to get in touch with me, they can just email Email's the best, uh, paula.flynn, that's F-L-I-N-N, at perthparkour.com. And you can find Perth Parkour and Women of Perth Parkour on Facebook and Instagram, just as those names, Perth Parkour and Women of Perth Parkour. Wham Jam, I think, is going to be in Brisbane next year. And it kind of – the planning gets handed over to – the next, mm-hmm. the next group. I'm hoping to be involved involved in that, so people can look out for for Wham Jam if they're in Australia and they're wo- a woman or non-binary person and want to get involved in that. Just um, s- search for Wham Jam and and see you should see something come up. And in, in terms of if people want more information about um, neurodiversity and autism and Trying to be more inclusive and helping within their communities to make sure that they're being respectful and and doing the right things. Uh, I can definitely help. People can direct questions to me. Uh, there's also uh, an amazing, amazing community, uh, autistic community, of autistic adults who, whose job it is, you know that that go around and and educate people, and and they also, you know. Uh, do a lot of free labor on on the internet through <laughs> Facebook groups, and um, they work, you know, really hard. And I think I think it would be great if people, you know, saw saw these as um, really valuable investment in their in their money and time to invest in actually autistic and neurodivergent people, and talk to them and say, hey, how can I make my community more inclusive for you guys and 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 you'll be able to, and I covered this a little bit in my talk, they'll be able to to help out with things like, you know, differences in communication and sensory differences and executive functioning and transitions and those things that I mentioned before and give you real concrete, uh, helpful advice. And I think that's the way to go because there is there's a lot of people out there that say they're autism experts and they're not autistic and they don't talk to autistic people, they've just... Based it on the research that happened a long time ago that was done by people who aren't autistic that were just observing from the outside and making assumptions basically, mm-hmm. and that's what got us into this mess. In, to begin with, I think with with um, all these presumptions and assumptions about what what being a neurodivergent is. So, some good places to check to start with. You can email me. Uh, you can contact Michelle Swan. Aaron Human, I do not have their details, but you can Google them. Uh, Allie Grace, Nick Walker, they're four uh, amazing, um, amazing autistic advocates. They're writers, they're educators. Um, this is what they do. They're very knowledgeable and um, very inclusive, wonderful people. So I would start searching for those, and then when you find them, you'll find a bunch of others, and it just goes from there. So, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, first, thank you very much for taking the time to fly halfway around the world <laughs> to come to the event. I think it's a really, it speaks very highly of you that you are that committed to like making all those pieces come together. So thank you for bringing that viewpoint. Um, I've heard several good things. So I'm um, happy that you're here. Hope that you're here next year and thanks for taking the time.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me. You're
0: very welcome. This was one of 23 interviews from the 2019 North American Art of Retreat. To hear the rest, check out Art of Retreat on castbox.fm. You can find out more about the Art of Retreat at artofretreat.com. Thank you for listening.